Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is a man who tried to steal Nicolas Cage as he tried to steal the Declaration of Independence, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. If you want to tweet us and let us know how you're doing, you can tweet us at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. You can follow our news aggregate at Roman Circus News. How's that going, Zach? You know, pretty good. Keeping the stories out there, keeping the people informed. Okay, that's great. Email us podcast at romancircusblog.com. You can find us on iTunes, rate it and review us if you want. You can also find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else there are podcasts. So, Zach, we had a great episode last week with Caitlin at Tea with Tolkien, and it actually was well-reviewed. A lot of people kept commenting on how they liked it. We got a whole bunch of new listeners, but we wanted to take a few seconds and remind the people that even though... We are super famous with lots of listeners. We're still the same as all of you out there in podcast land. For example, Zach knows the name of his butler just like everybody else. It hasn't changed him. Well, his last name. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, they only have last names. I get my Lamborghini washed twice a week just like everyone else, Zach. It's pretty, it's pretty common, I think, to keep our Lamborghinis nice and fresh for the people. The point yeah. the point is we had a great episode. Everybody loved it, but don't think that it changed us one bit. We're still the same lovable podcast hosts that you've been with for 10 months now. But yeah, it was a... Uh, 10 months? Have we really been doing this for 10 months? Yeah, we've been doing it... Not 10 months straight. We've skipped some weeks. If you were to combine it all together, it would probably be like eight months. But yeah, we've been... Roman Circus Podcast has been a thing for 10 months. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. I know. Who, who would have thought it lasts this long? I know. Most podcasts don't, Zach. But, uh, you know, when, when they zig, we zag. So, Also... That we do. Also, my brother came out with a book this week called Maurice C. Moose and the 101 Writing Prompts for Kids. Now, Zach, I know you have a few Maurice C. Moose books. You cel- I love the Maurice C. Moose franchise. You celebrate, you've celebrated all the books thus far. So he, he came out with a new book. Basically, uh, a few years ago, he started writing kids' books, and it's about a lovable moose named Maury C. Moose. In his first book, he helps save Christmas, right? He helps... He helps. Oh, that's good. He helps his town say Merry Christmas again after many years of not being able to say Merry Christmas. They were able to say Merry Christmas again. And... Um, wow, when did that one come out? Uh, I know you're thinking it came out around 2016, but it actually came out a little bit earlier than that. Um, so he foresaw... Trump becoming president and allowing us to say Merry Christmas again. Well, we're, I don't want to put any political spin on this book, Zach, but I, I do think Maury C. Moose is a trendsetter. 
so yeah, it's his fifth book. If you you can find it on Amazon, Maury M A U R Y C Moose. He's getting married at the end of the month. So if you want to support Maury C Moose is getting married? <laughs> yeah, he might be. Maury C Moose and the uh holy matrimony, Zach. Uh okay. Yeah, no, my brother is getting married. So I guess if my brother's getting married, then Maury C Moose in a way is also getting married. But yeah. Interesting. When are you getting married? I don't know. Maybe at the end of next month. I just wanted to prepare you for all of your family members at the wedding. Oh no, they they know I'm a lost cause. That, that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so uh if you interested... You need like a t-shirt that just says on there like I'm, you know, like have the answer to that question. Yeah. I'll, I'll, it'll just say no on it. But yeah, so <laughs> you can, if you want to check out some kids' books with some fun puns and some fun writing, check it out. We would all very much appreciate it. And if you don't, then I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, Zach, what's in the news? A lot of really important things are um, happening. Okay. So, world renowned humanitarian. Uh, Lindsay Lohan um, <laughs> is in the news for some some rescue efforts and her her work against human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, while in Paris, mm-hmm. um, late at night, but I, you know I was thinking about it, and with the time change, you know it was actually not that late in America. So okay, you know maybe it was jet lag. Right, um, fair enough. Lindsay Lohan saw some children with their parents. Mm-hmm. And so she knew she had to do something. Right. If you see if you see children with their parents, Zach, that is a that is a major red flag. Yes. Right. Big red flag. <laughs> right. So uh she starts speaking to them in English, but but with an Arabic accent. Sure. Obviously. Okay. She is in Paris. Right. And telling them that she's going to rescue them. Mm-hmm. And then she starts uh, following them down the street. Right. Continuing to talk to them. And then she goes to grab one of the kids and the mom turns around and punches her. Right. It, right in the face, right? Right in the... It was a good, it was a good punch. Yeah, no, knocks her down. I mean, just mm-hmm. knocks her down. Mm-hmm. And then she flips the camera around. Oh, oh, by the way, she she videotaped all of this on Instagram Live. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, sure. Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan Live. LLL. Yes. So she's Instagramming herself, um, trying to, I mean, basically kidnap these kids. And <laughs> gets punched by the mom, starts crying. She kind of cuts in and out, but she's like... I'm so scared right now. Right. And it's like, you just tried to kidnap a kid and you're scared. Yeah. Well, that's, she, she was worried about the kid's well-being. She was, she wasn't thinking about herself and herself getting punched in the face at that moment. She was worried that these parents would take this child home and love them for the rest of their lives. Right. And so then she also, she also made a comment, um, don't, uh, and then she used the F word with Pakistan. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think that that's, 
that's an important message to get out there. So we, you know, support Pakistan. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess it, it's really been a while since Lindsay Lohan's made the news. Yeah. Um, well, she, you know, and so yeah, when she continues, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, you know, her effort to rescue these children from their parents, save them from their, snatch them from their family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, got her back in the news. And uh, strangely, because we're in 2018 and the world's crazy, it all blew over really fast, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of did, but also, you know what today is, right? No. Uh, what is today? It's October 3rd, Zach. It's October 3rd. Yeah. Isn't that... On October 3rd, we spoke again. Yes, it is Mean Girls Day, and it being a Wednesday is um, also pretty huge. Okay? Mm-hmm. You only have to go to Mass once, though. <laughs> yeah, do you get... What, it, what are the uh, requirements for the indulgence? Yeah, for the Mean Girl indulgence? <laughs> right. Well, you have to wear pink. Yeah. Um... You can only wear jeans or track pants on Friday. Mm-hmm. You can only eat food that have less than 30% calories from fat. Okay. Is that... <laughs> uh, and then you fulfill... Also, make sure you go to confession uh, within two weeks. Yes. Obviously. No, and then the other thing I was like, what if it wasn't Lindsay Lohan? What if it was Jamie Lee Curtis in her body? Oh, that would have been bizarre. Yeah, like she had just, um, you know, chugged some Activia. Mm-hmm. So she was very regular. Right. And and then, you know, went out to, to rescue the, the children. I don't know. So anyway, hide your kids, hide your wives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lindsay Lowen's on the loose. Yeah. That's a great update. That is a... I am a big fan of that news update. What else you got for me? Well, in case Lindsay Lohan comes to your neighborhood, um, there's a new feature that's been rolled out by the government called President Trump Emergency Alerts. <laughs> I know. I got. We all got that today. Pretty exciting. Yes. We all got a text from Trump, mm-hmm. um, which is just interesting because, like, you know, his tweets go pretty viral. So, it, I mean, we, we pretty much got updates from him as it was. Um but, yeah, everybody got um, the Trump alert. I was in a staff meeting at work, and it, all of a sudden the phone started going off, and I was like, is there another flash flood? Mm-hmm. Or a, um, I think, what do we call them here? Silver alerts, when, like, old people go missing? We have that in Texas. I don't know if you guys have that in California. Uh, yeah, I, we have uh, Amber alerts. Okay, see, in Texas, Amber Alerts are for kids, yeah, yeah. and then Silver Alerts are for old, or, well, mature adults. How about that? Oh, yeah, I don't I don't, be, I don't think Los you know. Angeles actually cares about anyone over the age of eight if they go missing. They just assume they're in Skid Row now. Yeah, like they're, they're gone. Um, yep, so we got our Trump Alerts, and then, of course, the Internet responded by, like, editing the, the alert to say different things. I made one that, that reminded everybody that Texas lost to Kansas at football. <laughs> was that two years ago or was that last year? Two years ago. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was fun. Okay. Um, and then I, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones I saw. There were there were some pretty goofy ones. Yeah, we had a fan of the show, Trad Hannah, made one to let them know that the boys are back. 
meaning us. Oh, really? You didn't see that? No. Oh, you have to... Hold on, hold on. Oh, man, are we scrolling through Twitter live on the podcast? No, yes. Yes, that's no that's no different than us. Oh, just... so she did one of she did one of presidential alert that said, "Folks, you hear about this Donald Trump fellow? You hear about this guy?" <laughs> uh, so good. I'm gonna retweet that one. Still one of the greatest tweets in the history of tweets by good tweet man. I know. I know that's that's a great tweet, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> um. Well, I can't even find it. That's all right. Um, it's a it's a Wait, his, oh no, it's a reply. This is really great. I'm glad we're doing this. Every this is a great follow up episode to our award winning tea with Tolkien episode. It's just Matt and Zach just like scroll Twitter and chuckle to each other. I know it's like when mom's away. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's good. Okay, and then the last thing, and then this one probably should have triggered a Trump alert. Yeah. But um, based on photos I've seen from from Rome in the beginning of the Synod on the Youth, it appears that Pope Francis has kidnapped Groot oh, no. from the famous thriller uh, trilogy, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, what does that mean? Well, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy is a a, a film. It's actually two films. Um. Right. Of these people, right? And and some of them aren't people. One of them is a what a trash panda? No, what is it? <laughs> yeah. Most of them aren't people. I don't. I think. Right. right. Yeah. Not people. Okay. Anyway, one of the characters is Groot, and all he says is "I am Groot," and he's a tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. And then and then at some point he's a baby tree in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Um. And he, he has sick dance moves. Anyway, so um, yeah, there's pictures of Pope Francis carrying a crozier. For those who don't know, the crozier is kind of the the shepherd staff thing that um, you know, clerics carry around in liturgical functions. Pope Saint John and, you know, Paul usually, II kind of made it famous, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, he had that sort of droopy cross one, mm-hmm. which was okay. You know, that was his thing. Um, Pope Benedict had some really nice looking crozers that he used um the bishop in tulsa bishop slattery when i was in tulsa so he's now bishop emeritus yeah he had a really nice gold crozier too that that he would use for liturgical functions um but anyway so this this just tragic looking crozier has made it into the synod and um it was pointed out that there were youth that uh made it or, or gave it to the holy father uh, some time ago, hoping that he would use it at the synod. Right. So it's like when you get like some hideous sweater from a relative, <laughs> and then like that relative is coming in town, so you have to put the thing on. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much what we saw, but it does it does kind of look like Groot from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So oh man, we may, we may have to send Lindsay Lohan to rescue him. <laughs> yeah. Uh this is this is that's pretty much all the news. There's nothing else that happened. Oh, Amazon raised. I, I like this is good. What? Okay, Amazon apparently is raising everybody's wage, and the minimum wage for anyone working at Amazon is fifteen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's cool. So it it will be fifteen dollars an hour. Is what you're saying? 
Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 15. Great. Then that just means they'll be more motivated to get me my stuff in two days. I know. I always forget when I order things on Amazon. And so by the time it shows up, it's kind of like a present. I know. I'm like, Ooh. Isn't that the best, though? Don't I, isn't that like it's better than actually waiting for it, just getting surprised? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So what was the last thing you ordered on Amazon? Oh, OK. We're going to do this. That's a great question. I ordered a, I ordered something yesterday. And I ordered Mucinex for my sinuses. I bet you weren't expecting that, were you? No. Yeah, that's that's the last. Yeah, that can be addicting. Addictive. Yeah, I crush it up and I just put it in my drinks. No, I don't. I uh, yeah, allergy season. Like what? I was gonna say I do not crush it up and put it in my drinks. I take them orally like a normal person. What was the last thing you ordered? Um. The last thing I ordered, oh man, don't mind me, just literally looking it up. Mm-hmm. It might be this microphone because I haven't been shopping that much lately. Oh, Zach, that was a great purchase, but that was way too long ago. We need to jam more money into Amazon for these workers to get $15 an hour. Yeah, that was my last thing that I had delivered. Okay. Um, and, you know, I bought some some books. Always good. I bought a book on on ADHD. Okay. Bought the book Bronze Age Mindset, which is wild. Um, yeah, you know, that's good. But you were talking about ordering Mucinex. Actually, the pollen's been so bad in Dallas. How bad I've is heard it? Stories. Oh, so bad. Mm-hmm. I've heard... Um, Stories about junkies converting their meth back into Sudafed. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, I, I can't confirm, but I, I have heard talk. But anyway, folks, we have a great show for you this evening. Stick around. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, awkwardly jam our way into the show. Okay. Um, so before... Before we do that, we started... Well, actually, this is part of it. Two weeks ago, or two episodes ago, we started our our series on the church, right? We called it... Uh, right. We called it, What is the Church? Part 1, a.k.a. Shots with Thought. So, we are going to do part two today, as you will see by the title. The reason I'm putting in this awkward, yeah, but before we start talking is we called it shots with thought because we took it out of the fundamentals of Catholic dogma by Ludwig Ott. Right. And mm-hmm. we did that as a play on pints with Aquinas, the very, very popular Catholic pod podcast hosted by Matt Frad. Uh, this week, if you listen to Pints with Aquinas, he did an episode about the four marks of the church, which is exactly what we were ab- about to talk about in part two of this two-part series. Now, we debated... We got scooped. Right. 
Well, we debated whether or not we wanted to do it anyway. We decided we would go forward with it because we already started doing it. And um, this is also information that is not like specific to any one person. Anyone can figure this out or find this out. And podcasts can be listened to at any time. So we thought, if you've already listened to that Pints with Aquinas episode, because odds are you have, because he has a ton of listeners, um, maybe you would like to listen to this again. And if you haven't, then congratulations, you get part two of our series, Very Fresh. But yeah, we just wanted to address that, because uh, I know that some of the people that listen to that also listen to this, and we didn't want it to seem like we were just kind of like, you know furiously writing down what he said and putting it back onto this podcast. So that's kind of the explainer. And it is kind of funny that our Shots with Thought series kind of crosses over with Pints with Aquinas. So there's that. So funny. I don't know. Not funny, haha. Funny, you know, like, hmm, yes. Like, uh, like late night TV show funny where you just clap instead of laugh. And you like, oh man, you like stroke your beard. That's a rant that I just can go on and on and on about. <laughs> yeah, right. You like, I, I, I don't really watch late night late shows anymore, mm-hmm. but I, it used to be my like favorite genre. Right. And I thought that David Letterman was just the best. Right. And now you turn it on and you see like Stephen Colbert or, you know, these people and they don't tell any jokes. Like you're just sitting there waiting. You're like, I know they're going to tell a joke. I know they're going to tell a joke. Mm-hmm. But basically, they just they just kind of make little zingers about the president. Right. Okay. And then the people in the audience clap, like you said. Yeah. Like nobody laughs. They just clap. And then you turn on Samantha B. And basically, she makes fun of Americans who make like $20,000 a year because they shop at Walmart. Right. And again, all the responses to her comments are clapping. Like, normally, when you tell a joke, people laugh. Anyway. Sorry. Rant over. But I, I would love to hear Joe. Oh, wait. One last <laughs> one last aside before we roll into the real episode. Okay. Is this okay, Matt? Yeah, that's fine. It's- um. I met I met Twitter's Jeremy McClellan in in real life IRL. Oh, that's right. Hopefully, we're going to have him on the podcast this past soon. weekend. Yeah, we're going to try to get him on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to see his stand up show, and it was great. It was funny. Um, he he coached some kids on jokes later that weekend. Um, and then he he came to Modern Day with me and got to see a uh, high mass. So it was great cool guy that's awesome so like I, our list of people we've met continues to get longer because we've met what you've met the helmets i have i've met mcclellan i met jake and mm. kevin that's right and father tim you've met father tim yeah great great guy yeah if you're ever in if you're ever in los angeles shoot me a message and we'll uh We'll meet up. I'm not scared to meet random people from Twitter. Zach isn't either. If you're in Dallas, shoot him a message, and he'll he'll come to your hotel room and knock on your door and do a little jig. Yeah, just slide into those DMs. <laughs> All right, we have to we have we okay. have to get into the back good to the stuff. church. Back to the church. Yes, yes, yes. We, yes. So yes, we've got a lot to cover. Okay, mm-hmm. and so just a quick reminder where we're at. So last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the church, how it was founded by. 
Jesus Christ. Right. Um, how um, Peter was the head of the church and his successor, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, mm-hmm. um, continues to be the head of the church with universal jurisdiction and how um, the bishops under the Pope uh, are, you know, they have ordinary authority over a specific territory and they derive their authority from the Pope. Right. Um, we talked about how the church, you know, is a, is a society uh, founded by Jesus for the purpose of training men for heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that it will endure until the end of time. So go back and listen to that episode. It's really good. Take notes. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're going to talk about three attributes of the church and then the four marks of the church. Okay. Right. The four marks get mentioned quite a bit. Sometimes the three attributes get uh, forgotten. But we want to bring them up because they're very important, especially right now, because as we know, um, you know, most of the news, and if you, you know, if you read the failing New York Times or if you read Drudge or whatever you read, or if you watch television um, and TV news, um, you know, most of the news about the church is bad right now. Right. You know, let's let's be honest. Um, there's always good and bad things happening in the church at any given time, but right now, you know, it's a little bit rough. So, um, remembering these attributes is important because it, uh, you know, it helps us kind of get through these times and, and make it to the next sort of golden age of the, of the church. So, okay, Matt. Zach. Do you know the three attributes of the church off the top of your head? The three attributes of the church. Infallibility. It's funny because, like, you definitely know them, but, like, being able to just rattle them off is probably something, you know. Infallibility. Yes. Indefectibility. Yes. And the third one, uh, visibility. It's another ability. Yes. Right. Okay. So, yes, the three attributes of the church are indefectibility, infallibility, and visibility. Do we have, so, do we have three a, abilities? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, do we have a definition of attributes? Um, no. Things about the... Oh, I didn't, know if the, I didn't know if there was, like, some special fundamentals of Catholic dogma attributes definition. Um, no, I mean, it's like properties, just, okay. you know, things that are true about the church as a whole. Right. Which actually, that's an important thing to point out, is these are true about the church as a whole. It's not um, it's not true about, like, individual parts of the church, like the church in a specific country, etc. Right. So, you know, a country, I mean, I think about, you know, the uh, England during the Reformation, um, or, you know, whatnot. Um, okay. So starting with indefectibility, here's here's like the defined, here's the doctrine, okay? The church is indefectible, that is, she remains and will remain the institution of salvation founded by Christ until the end of the world. Okay? All right. The Vatican Council uses the phrase, uh, the an unconquered stability. Pope Leo XIII calls the Church of Christ uh, one and everlasting. Uh, 
And so this is just important to consider. You know, the church can't just veer off and, you know, split from Christ and, and start its own thing. We've got lots of heresies about this throughout time and even through today. I think people that maybe see some of the sins of individual members of the church think that that means the church has, you know, jumped ship or or is no longer the vessel of salvation, but that's not true. Um, the other thing that's important, too, is that the church has always been indefectible, mm-hmm. and I think this is just a critical point. Um, St. Thomas, you know, teaches that no more perfect state is to be expected in which the grace of the Holy Ghost will be more richly given than it was heretofore given. Well, that... Okay. Yeah, and that point... that uh, We've said this before on the podcast, and it, it's always something that I kind of circle back to in my own life when I think about things like this. If there was a time for that to happen, like, say, the Holy Ghost had us at, like, 88% right now, but in the future it would be cranked up to 100 then... That's another instance where if you think that's the case, then you also have to think that Jesus failed, right? So it's some, right. it's something that had to happen at that moment for once the church was established, it was established as is for the rest of time. It just it doesn't like it doesn't ebb and flow depending on how much the people in the world need it. Because again, if it did that, if it was releasing special things for people at special times then there's like the crucifixion and the sacrifice and death and all that was essentially a failure because it was not equal to everybody forever um right yeah just and so you know and because it's god that gives the church its indefectibility you know god doesn't become better and worse at doing that sure um and so, you know, I always mention that, like, the 20th century is a pretty rough time period as far as um, theology and spiritual writing goes. And, and there's very little from the 20th century that's worth reading. But if you do, like, peruse some of the things that the writers were talking about, there's this attitude that, you know, now that the, you know, now that it's 19, you know, 60 or whatever it is, that the, you know, the super perfect church has arrived. And, and now that's this perfect generation that's got the church that knows so much more than those you know, those fools from the Middle Ages, right, and right. yada, yada. Yeah. And, I mean, this is something that, you know, Thomas warned us about and said, that's not going to happen. There's not going to be um, a new Pentecost or anything like that. The Holy Spirit has been with the church the whole time. And it, like you said, it's not going to crank up from, you know, 88 to 100 uh, during some special time period. The, the Holy Spirit has always guided the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yes, so that's indefectibility, kind of self-explanatory, but worth touching on. The next one, infallibility. Infallibility. Yes, and so here's what the doctrine is on that. In the final decision on doctrines concerning faith and morals, the church is infallible. Okay, so faith and morals. That's yes. That's very I mean, and those important. are... Yeah, and morals is a is an expansive topic. So I mean, yes, it's it's specifically faith and morals, not you know physics and uh, astrology. But um, ultimately, you know, faith and morals morals encompasses human acts. Okay, so that that includes things like economics, um, except politics, etc. Right. A lot of people don't 
realize that. Now that also, you know, it's clear a final decision. So, you know, the church doesn't just go around offering final decisions on things, but you couldn't restrict morals to simply, a lot of times people think morals only has to do with maybe the sixth and ninth commandment Mm -hmm. or, you know, some of the more basic matters, but realistically morals encompasses all human acts because, you know, properly human acts all have a moral, um, you know, attribute to them. But Zach, it's not like I've murdered someone. That's what people always say when they do something bad. Not always, but you know that excuse. Right. Yeah. I think it's a can eye of the Tiber headline where it's like local woman didn't murder anyone or anything and doesn't need to go to confession. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and so we're, so with that definition of infallibility, you know, there's the object of infallibility. So here you go. The primary object of the infallibility is the formerly revealed truths of Christian doctrine concerning faith and morals. Okay, so you've got divine revelation, basically the deposit of faith that's handed down through tradition, and, and that's the object of the church's infallibility. Okay. Primarily. Right. That, that, and then the that secondary would make sense because that's... I mean, that's kind of how the church began, right? So it was, it right. was all, yeah, all revealed. Yes. And so then the secondary object from infallibility is truths of the Christian teaching on faith and morals, which are not formally revealed, but which are closely connected with the teaching of revelation. So, okay. So do you have an example so of that? So like to explain that, it's basically, it's kind of the, the consequence of, um, you know, the primary, you know, what's been revealed. It's like theological conclusions that are, you know, reached by, you know, taking a a matter of doctrine and, you know, teasing it out and working out, you know, if this is true, then that is true. Would that be, et cetera, et cetera. Would that be the Immaculate Conception? Um, hmm. I, I think so. Yeah. Um, right, because that it was something that necessarily wasn't defined until much later, but it had all like it wasn't something they pulled out of thin air either, right? So all the all the things were there, and they just basically defined it as such later on. Right, and so and that can go positive or negative. So the church can basically say, you know, positively this is true. Or they can say negative that this is an error opposed to the truth. Okay. Um, and actually, I would say at least from the doctor, the documents that are, you know, more commonly read, the church does the negative thing more often, because um, that kind of keeps people looking for the truth and searching. Mm-hmm. Where they'll say, okay, no, this is an error. Scratch this. You know. Right. This statement's condemned. Yada yada. Yeah, so basically it's just things that reason. Okay, and then who possesses the infallibility when we're talking about in the church? Okay. Me and you, the Roman Circus podcast. Right. I mean, our podcast, of course. Right. Um, (laughs) Right. So in real life, so first we have the Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra. And so that um, there's, you know, certain criteria for when a Pope does that. And um, it's only explicitly been done twice. Um, 
with the Immaculate Conception and then the Assumption um, are, you know, ex cathedra. Mm-hmm. Um, then you could also say the whole episcopate, so the totality of bishops is infallible when they either assembled in general council or scattered over the earth, propose a teaching of faith and morals as one to be held by all the faithful. So that kind of comes from the, the Council of Trent, which explains, you know, the bishops are the successors of the apostles. And also, again, at Vatican I, it's explained um, that, you know, when they all teach together, they exercise infallibility. Um, and so, you know, that's that's almost more in theory than in practice, because, I mean, you don't, right, especially right now, the bishops, you know, there's a lot of disagreements among bishops these days. So... Um, you know, but when they're all speaking together, that's, uh, that would be infallible. There's a lot more to infallibility. It'd be cool. We could do like a whole episode about that. And a book I would recommend, um, you can get it for pretty cheap and you can get the ebook is Father Ripperger's book, Magisterial Authority. Mm -hmm. It kind of walks through like the nuts and bolts of infallibility and then, you know, how to judge statements that come from the church, you know, using principles that have you know have been used throughout time you know what to do when when one pope you know when the current pope and a previous pope have statements that appear to disagree um how to understand ecumenical councils yada yada it's um it's a good book so yeah it's called magisterial authority by father chad ripper highly recommended perfect yeah let's do a let's do a whole episode on that at some point okay Cool. So we won't get too into the nuts and bolts of infallibility now. No. We, so we'll move on to the third attribute, we which can't, is... We can't spend too much time talking about the important stuff because we spent like 20 minutes on Lindsay Lohan, so... That was important, Matt. <laughs> Good point. All right. Uh, visibility. Visibility, yes. So, um, the doctrine is the church founded by Christ is in a... And is in, uh, the church founded by Christ is an external visible commonwealth. Okay, this is like directly opposed to everything the Protestants have been saying for the last 500 years. Explain. The well, the Protestants basically like I grew up Protestant and the the idea there is that the church is a sort of invisible um extraction that exists of all of the true believers in the world, you know, regardless of of what you know, organization they're a part of or et cetera, et cetera. It's just everybody who believes. And, you know, there are kind of different formulations of that in different um, flavors of Protestantism. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not this idea that an actual visible organic community that was started by Christ, you know, has has continued in the structures of it, you know, have existed from the very beginning. It it is kind of an idea that, you know, the church is, is simply spiritual. I like that. Makes sense. Yeah. And this has kind of just been echoed throughout the centuries, besides just the fact that the church has you know, been here all along. Um, it's talked about at the Council of Trent, at the First Vatican Council. Pope Leo writes about it. Um, Pius XII wrote about it. You can read all, you know, explaining this. But it's important to say the church is visible. So, you know, you will always be able to find it. You know, right now, you can see, you know, it's a visible community with Pope Francis as its head. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like you're, you know, where you're at in Los Angeles, you know, it's part of, you're part of a visible community that has, um, you know, as the head of the local diocese, um, 
Archbishop Gomez. Correct. Correct. Cool. <laughs> and here we have, you know, Bishop Burns is the visible head of my diocese. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm part of of that society. It's not some, you know, imaginary thing that I'm spiritually a part of but not actually a part of. You know, in this case, you're literally part of a visible organization started by Jesus Christ. That's a that's good enough for me. Yeah. So those attributes are important. And so I think that there have been times that all of those have been attacked. And I think it can be tempting to forget about those during times of crisis in the church or when things are bad. But ultimately... We know that the church is, has the three attributes. The church is uh, indefectible, infallible, and visible. So you can kind of rest easy on, you know, is the church going to defect and, you know, abandon our Lord? No. You know, can the church solemnly pronounce a final judgment that's incorrect? No. And then will the church ever be invisible and impossible to find? No. So that's good. How would it even be invisible and pos- impossible to find? I don't even understand. I mean, I think that's sort of implied in in Protestantism, you know? It just, the, it is where I am, and I, it is in my heart, and it is how I feel. Yeah, or like the whole, you know, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. Gotcha. Okay. You know, not understanding that it's, you know, it's a, it's a visible entity. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Or does that move us on to okay. the four, Those are the attributes. four marks of the church? Yes. So the, de- the four marks of the church. The definition. There's Karl Marx. Yeah. There's Mark Wahlberg. Just kidding. Saint Mark, Mark Wahlberg, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know any and more marks. Mark? Um, so a mark, yeah. Zach. A mark is that which makes a thing known. Okay, that's the definition of a mark. Okay, so if you're looking for the church, you would need to look for the marks of the church, and those would make make it known, oh, this is the church. Correct. Boom. Yeah. So the four marks, they are in the creed, the Nicene Creed, and they are one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. We've all s- One, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. We've all said it. Unum, sanctum. Catholicum Apostolicum. Exactly. So let's talk about one. Let's talk about the unity or the oneness. The church is founded by Christ. The church founded by Christ is unique and one. Meaning that it's unique. Obviously, it's the only one of its kind and one because it's the only one of its kind. There's no, there's no. So when when there's a split, do there suddenly become two? Zach, there does not become two because two is not one. The thing about one is okay. The thing about one is it's one and it's not two. So no matter what anybody does, the church is still one. They've just left it. Is what you're saying? They haven't they haven't made two. Right. Well, you you can't make two out of one, Zach. Then it ceases to be one. Okay. Uh, you know, I just wanted to be clear. Right. So there is the unity. There's basically there's a twofold unity to the church. Okay. The unity of faith 
and the unity of communion. So the unity of faith consists in the fact that all members of the church inwardly believe the truths of the faith proposed by the teaching office of the church, at least implicitly and outwardly confess them. Okay. So you have to be, if the church says it, the members of the church believe it basically. That's how that's, yeah, that's how you are within that church in that aspect. And then there's the unity of communion consists on one hand in the subjection of the members of the church to the authority of the bishops and of the Pope. And on the other hand, in the binding of the members among themselves to a social unity by by participation in the same cult and in the same means of grace. Whoa, a cult. I know. Whoa. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So, in the same means of grace, obviously they could, they're, the sacraments are involved in that, right? Um, mm-hmm. One is cut off from the unity of yeah. faith by heresy, and from the unity of communion by schism. So there you go, Zach. If you if you preach a heresy, you are cut off because you have betrayed the unity of faith, and if you decide that the church is not good enough for you. And you schism, you've betrayed the unity of communion. Right. And you see, when you do that, again, you haven't divided the church, and you haven't split the church, and you haven't created a new church. You've severed yourself from the church. Right. All you've done is taken yourself out of the church. You haven't, you haven't like, uh, magically created Church 2 Electric Boogaloo. Right. And I just think that gets sort of forgotten often where people are talking about church unity. You know, they want to pray for for church unity. Church unity exists. It's existed since Christ founded the church. It will exist until the end of time. Right. What we are want to pray for is for all of the Christians and all the, you know, the baptized people who believe that, you know, the man Jesus Christ was God, for all of them to come back and enter the one church which remains united. Mm-hmm. Um, but there aren't multiple churches. The church has never been split. The church has never been divided um, because it's God that keeps the church one. But people, and lots of them, have split themselves from the church. They divided themselves from the church, but they they haven't threatened the church's unity with those actions. St. Thomas declares that the unity of the church is founded on three elements, the common faith of all members of the church, the common hope of eternal life and the common love of God and of one another in mutual service. So, well, that is just, (laughs) so that's one next up. We have that's unum, right? We have holy. The church founded by Christ is holy. Okay. So the the church is holy in her origin, her purpose, her means and her fruits. So not necessarily all of her leaders, all of her members. No, yeah, it doesn't... We, the The church is holy because it is the means of salvation, right? It is the means of holiness. Okay? Okay. So the, and I like that. So you said origin, purpose, means, fruits. Right. So the salvation, it, the, the church 
we have salvation as a means to edify and to sanctify us. Okay. Edify to, okay. To correct me if I'm wrong, but to like give, give us the knowledge and give us the, give us the truths of the faith and sanctify to basically sanctification for our final end. Yeah. Okay. Basically train us for heaven. Mm -hmm. So, Not only those members who are holy, but the sinners also belong to the church. So that's kind of the point you brought up is uh, the holiness of the church does not rely on the holiness of its members. Okay. So every, so if there are a million Catholics in the world and only five of them are in the state of grace and even care about the sacraments, the church will still be holy, right? It's, it, because, right. And th- those other people that are sinners, the sinners are still in the church. Right. Yeah. So, and they don't threaten the holiness of the church. That's the, that see that. Yeah. That's the big problem of people. Like they, when they, we talked about this in our why stay Catholic in 2018 episode, but like people who, people who say, well, oh, I'm not going there because they're all sinners and they're all terrible people. Like, yeah, I mean, it, everyone everywhere is sinners and terrible people, right? You stay in the church because the church is the holy entity and the means of salvation. So that's that's really at its core what they are talking about in this in this piece, right? But I think we should all. I mean, obviously, and you agree, we should all strive for holiness because you know you wouldn't want to in your actions. Um, diminish the perceived holiness of the church, you know? So, I mean, obviously we're all going to fall short at times, right? but we should be striving for holiness because, you know, for people who, you know, don't have fundamentals of Catholic dogma, they're just looking at, at you um, and the, the Catholics that they know. And that's, that's what's impacting how they understand the holiness of the church. So, you know, until they get it figured out that the holiness doesn't come from members, you know, you just want to show, you want to be as holy as you can. And not for, not just because people are watching. I mean, primarily because, you know, God's watching and your guardian angel's watching. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, also because you don't want to um, diminish the perceived holiness of the church by your actions. Right. You don't want to create scandal or anything through that. Right. So that is holy. Okay, we got unum and sanctum. Uh, the next one we have is Catholic. Ah, Catholicum. The church founded by Christ is Catholic. Ha. <laughs> yeah. So not Orthodox. Just kidding. So Catholic means universal, Zach. The church is called Universal. the church is called Catholic, especially on account of her spatial extent over the whole earth. Okay, I like the I like spatial extent as a as a phrase. So yes. it means excellent spatial extent. <laughs> yeah. So it is Catholic because it is universal and it is available to everybody. Okay. It is the same. So it's not just for one race. I'm sorry. What was that, Zach? Not just for one the, race. The church is not just for one race. Oh, for one race. No, no. It's it's for everybody, Zach. It's open to everybody. Okay. Not just for people who are rich. Well, I mean, yes, a little bit more for people who are rich. 
Um, they, the LOL. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's for everybody, Zach. They virtual catholicity. Ex- Did I say that right? Sometimes words don't sound correct when they leave my mouth. Catholicity. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, it's existed from the beginning. Actual Catholicity, by its nature, could only be achieved after a fairly long historical development. Okay? So basically, virtual Catholicity is the the intention to extend over the whole earth together with the capacity to achieve the purpose. And actual Catholicity is the actual extension of the church over the whole earth. So the actual is the spreading of the church via the apostles, right? And via the members that go and spread this throughout the entire earth into into foreign territory. And the virtual mm-hmm. is the the Catholic church that began when it was founded, okay? Does that make sense? Right. Because, I mean, it was always for everybody. Right. So, But it, it was for everyone, but not everyone knew about it until they were told. Okay. Makes sense. Do you know who first used the term the Catholic Church? Or used the title, rather? Was it Ignatius of Antioch? Oh, my gosh. It's almost like we're reading the same book. I didn't look. I didn't look. Yeah, you're correct. That's how smart I am. Where, where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Nice. All right, so the final one. So we've got Unum Sanctum Catholicum, and there's one more. It is the apostolic. One holy Catholic and apostolic. The church founded by Christ is apostolic. Simple enough. It is. Apostolic signifies derived from the apostles. Christ founded his church on the apostles by transferring to them his threefold office, teaching, pastoral, and sacerdotal. Christ willed that these offices and the powers corresponding to them should be transmitted to their successors since the purpose of the church makes it necessary that these be perpetuated. So, it, again, it is something that was established by Christ, passed down, and it will be passed down for the rest of time. Because if it's not... in like, literally through an unbroken line of apostles. Right, because if it's not, then Jesus failed. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's the... That's a, so when people say that, like, shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, the church veered off course and adopted all these wild superstitions and, you know, became super pagan. And then 1,500 years later, um, you know, people finally looked at the Bible and said, hey, this is all wrong and purified it. That uh, kind of violates the idea of apostolicity, right? Yeah, Jesus failed for 1,500 years. Or actually, he just failed in general, if that's the case. There would be no... Right. That's sort of implied by the by the argument. Yeah. I mean, if that's what they, if that's what they want to think, and they somehow rediscovered new Jesus, I don't know. I don't know what they, what they say. But yeah, so it, it is unbroken 
and it has to be the same for everybody throughout time. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And, you, you know, you can't find anything that's been, um, you know, proclaimed by the church that's ever just, you know, flipped and been changed, ultimately. Right. St. Thomas teaches that the apostles and their teachings are the secondary foundation of the church, the primary foundation being Christ himself. All right. So we've got the Unum Sanctum Catholicum Apostolicum Ecclesium. Right. So there's this there's this bit that says the four properties of unity, sanctity, catholicity and apostolicity since they appear externally and are easily recognizable are not merely properties of being but at the same time outer marks of the true church of Christ. The holy office under Pius the Ninth declared the true church of Christ by virtue of divine authority is constituted and is knowable by the four characteristics which we confess in the creed as an object of the faith. So whenever you say the creed, you are confessing these marks of the church. Yeah, and I mean, you can really just do it. I mean, look at any any entity that, um, you know, that proposes that it's the church of Christ. You know, that, that it's the one you want to belong to um, if you want to be obedient to Christ. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, just, you know, almost like a checklist. Just ask yourself, you know, one holy Catholic apostolic. Apostolic, if it, if it can't be traced back in history, in the literal sense, you know, to the apostles, then scratch it off, okay? And that's going to eliminate a significant number of, you know, of organizations out there, Right. right? You know, super fun rock band church down the street, first church of what's happening now. Mm -hmm. um, not apostolic. Right? No, it's not. Um, you know, Catholicity, you know, is it is it universal? Well, you know, I think that it's I think it's worth pointing out that that there is lacking in in the Eastern Orthodox Catholicity. I mean, they're they're currently experiencing another schism between Russia and Constantinople. Hey, even one schism is too many. Right. Right. Um, you know, and so again, it leads you back to, to simply the, the Roman Catholic Church under, under the Pope. And, you know, you can be like me. And when I learned this, I was uh, immediately like, no, not this, anything but Catholic. Like, I don't want to do this. But, you know, the fact that it was a church was staring me in the face and there was, there was no working around it. Mm -hmm. Um and then, you know, does do these scandals, do all of the bad things that we see happening in the news, do any do they do they call into question these four marks? No. I mean No. I mean they appear to kind of make right. the mark of holiness you know obscure they obscure the holiness. Yeah, that's right. What they, I was they, say. they buries it. Right. Um But that kind of has to just take you back to what it what it truly means. You know, it's the four things that we're talking about with holiness. Um, what were they? The four origin, purpose, means, and fruits. Right. So again, origin, founded by Christ, purpose, you know, training men for heaven, means, the sacraments, fruits, the saints. You know, that's the, that's the holiness that you find in the church. 
Yep. So those are the uh, four marks of the church. Um, so we, we just mentioned the the Orthodox, Matt, and like I kind of want want to know if you could maybe help me understand something better. Okay. Probably not, but I'll give okay, it a so try. The Orthodox have the Orthodox have been in the news because of a, a an impending schism between the Russian Orthodox Church and then I think the See of Constantinople, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, one thing that's never made sense to me about orthodoxy is that they allow, um, and this is a big thing that divide, you know, that is different between the Catholic Church and then the Eastern Orthodox, is that they allow divorce and remarriage. Okay. Yes. Okay, but it's not like with Protestants where you can do it as many times as you want. You can only can you do it? You get once or twice. So you can you can basically you can swap out your wife twice for up to three marriages okay <laughs> do you have a punch card or something well and this is my question because like I, I don't really understand how this works okay so let's say in theory okay like i get married right, right. and very much a theory you know sometime later well yeah sometime later my you know my wife for whatever reason uh, you know i don't know becomes a vegan or something <laughs> something just awful um and that's not going to work for me. Okay. So I burn one of my trades. Okay. I get married again, right? right. Okay. So I, I'm on my second marriage, which means I, I can still have one more marriage down the road. Okay. You know. Right, right, Yeah, yeah. Things you are got going two, well you can this, have a third. This wife. Yeah. Things are going well with this wife. Okay. First wife dies. Oh, no. Right, I know that's sad. Um, do I, you know, because like till death do us part. Like, do I get like a credit back for that? Oh, this is a good. This is a good question because, but cause you didn't, you didn't fulfill the. Because like, if if she had died before we got divorced, you know, I could get remarried and that wouldn't count as anything, you know, right? Because, right. So, what happens to my like, like? What are my, what are my credits? What are my stats? If that happens, I well, you didn't fulfill the, you didn't fulfill the necessary qualifications of till death do us part. So I think you lose out. I think you, I think you made your bed, um, and you decided that you didn't want this person and you wanted the second person. So I don't think you get to apply credit. To that, because this poor woman died at an early age, I think you have to just. Okay. I think basically what you have to do is you have to write out this second marriage for at least another year before you make any decision on using up that third one, because you still, by my count, will be about thirty-four at this time. Um, so you have a long life ahead of you, and you only have one marriage left, Zach. You can't blow it. Well. Okay, and that's so. Then again, back to this example. Let's say that the first wife didn't die, mm-hmm. but you know things don't work out with the second wife, and I get back with the first wife, and that's technically my third marriage. So, am I done at that point, or because it was the first wife, it doesn't count as a trade? Oh, oh, see, again, like these are important things. Do you have know. the loop? Okay, okay, you have a loophole. I get what you're saying. Right. And you know what would be really freaky is let's say that is the case. Like I'm on my third marriage. You know, I have no more trades left. 
you know, it's like Mario Kart. My balloons have been shot oh, off. Oh, no. Yeah. I know. Um, but, you know, the woman I'm married to, she's only traded once. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she still has an extra. Like, I'm vulnerable in that case, right? Yeah. Because, because she can just peace out whenever she wants. Oh. But, like, at that point, I'm stuck. You know, I see what you're it's saying. It's like that dirty Santa game. You know, like I've had my gift stolen, and I can't go draw another gift from the middle. Right. Oh, this is this is tough. This is, I mean, the strategy, like the theory and the the gaming that would go into this this dangerous wedding game, marriage game that they play in the East. I I would need like a coach. Like I would need like a <laughs> like a, a literal like you have to coach me through this because I don't know how to maximize my situation. Right. Oh, no, yeah, it's all about strategy. This is actually, this is like where playing Settlers of Catan and all these all these games really come in handy because you need to know how to trade and you need to, like, uh, fortify your surroundings. I don't know. It, it all made sense in my head. Like, you want right. to build near a port? You want to get married near a port where you can, like, trade two for one? <laughs> all mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm with it. I know the games that the kids play. Yeah. If anybody wants to like explain this to us, um, feel free to reach mm-hmm. out because yeah, I have I have a lot of questions about <laughs> yeah. that. Before we know if we want to uh, remove ourselves from the church for this orthodox paradise, we need to we need to get some details straight. Right. Try before you buy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Saints of the week. Let's get you had a saint of the week for I us. I have a saint of the week, Zach. It is Saint Therese of Lisieux. You heard of this? The little flower. You heard of this gal? She. You heard of her? Unfortunately, Saint T. She passed when she was twenty-four, Zach. It was. It was a. Uh, she did not. She was half your age. <laughs> yeah. She. She didn't live a long life. Her feast day is October first. She is the patron of October third. Sorry, October. I think her feast day is October third. I'm sorry. Yes, it is October third. And it, she is the patron of HIV slash AIDS sufferers, radio carathons, which is pretty amazing. You didn't? I, did you expect there to be a, pa- a patron saint of uh, radio carathons? I didn't. I will say I, I didn't expect florists that. and gardeners, Alaska, the Philippines, gardens of Vatican City. She is, I mean, she is a doctor of the church. First of all, first and foremost, before any of that other stuff, doctor of the church. At twenty four, Zach. Wow. Yeah, she unfortunately she wow amazing. Yeah, she died of tuberculosis. Now, you would think all that stuff is pretty amazing. What's even more amazing? It's weird. Like, sorry. Oh, it just seems like people used to die so much of tuberculosis. Like, I, I should, I should I be worried? Like, anyway, I don't I've never even known anyone who's had that. Zach, her her parents are both saints. Okay. If you thought, it, what? yes, did you know this? I'm sure you knew this. St. Louis and St. Zeli. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. 
So her, yeah, her parents, uh, so, I believe they were canonized fairly recently, too. They're, yeah, they were yes, canonized. they were canonized by Pope Francis. Yeah, 2015. Okay, so you're thinking, you got a doctor of the church raised by two saints. Uh, she had She had five siblings, or she was one of five siblings. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking those other four must have been giant screw-ups, right? Like just playing the odds. Um, no, they right. were all in. They were all religious. So they had some Carmelite nuns. They had uh, actually they had a few Carmelite nuns, and one of them was the was the uh, what do you call it head mother of the. Mother yeah, Superior? Mother Superior, where Saint Ther- Saint Therese was. So that would that hmm. would have been pretty amazing. But yeah, this whole family—it's an amazing family. There's saints and there's religious all in this family. And if you if you want to pick a holy family other than the holy family, I'm just saying, uh, pick a holy family to look up to. Then I suggest this one. Yeah, my family's looking lame at this point. Oh, man, all of our families are looking pretty lame. Pope St. Pius X called her the greatest saint of modern times. I've heard exorcists say that she is very powerful um, as far as an intercessor uh, to protect from, like, diabolic influence. Okay. Like, they're, they're, he, I mean, they basically said demons are terrified of little Therese. All right. That's that's good enough for me. Yeah. Well, good work, Zach. Everyone. Fun episode. Fun episode. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you all yes, next week. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, uh, keep your kids safe from Lindsay Lowen. <laughs> all right. See ya.